0: Melissa Velez, but most people at work just call me Mel, and welcome to As Told By. I work for The Clearing, which is a change management consulting firm based in Washington, D.C. The Clearing focuses our services around four key areas of leadership, culture, strategy, and customer experience. We're focused on partnerships that unlock real transformation and outfits leaders to have meaningful lives and to make extraordinary contributions to causes that really matter. In this podcast, you'll be hearing from change management industry leaders paving a new path forward and redefining what change management looks like. Here, you'll get a better sense of who we are, what we do, and how we think. These are our stories, and we're excited to share them with you. In today's episode, we're sitting down with Elliot Johnson, who's a senior consultant at The Clearing. Elliot has a passion for not only storytelling, but also making and leading change in a dynamic realm of the change management industry. And today we're looking into organizational culture, how it shows up in the workplace, and why it's important to talk about it. Elliot, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
0: How are you? How are you feeling today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. Um, you know, it snowed in DC recently, good. and I have this like—I have a balcony, and it had a lot of snow on it. And then I went outside, and it has a little bit of snow on it. <laughs> and I love snow, and so um, it was a little sad to see that. But it's like yeah. brand new day. <laughs>
0: I love that my um so my apartment has two floors i'm in dc and my bottom floor is where my room is and so outside when i look because i'm underground it looks like there's so much snow and then i go upstairs which is above ground and it's really um underwhelming to say the least
1: i mean fancy lady two floors one home like i don't even want to hear it it's nothing
0: nothing to write home about (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's funny. Okay, cool. Well, welcome to the podcast. It's called As Told By. We are honored to have you. We're thrilled to have you. And we're excited to pick your brain a bit about um, organizational culture. But before we dive in, we want the listeners to get a little bit um, more of a sense of who you are, You know what you're about, how you grew up, um, and how you got to the point you're at now. So I guess um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get to this point um, in your career?
1: Yeah, uh, so I'm a recent 29-year-old. I My birthday was last week. <gasps>
2: Happy um, birthday. I'm,
1: thank you. Um, I'm a native to Washington, D.C., fourth generation. I know, look out, Did not, did not know that.
0: Wow. Yeah, my
1: great-grandfather was a civil rights activist. He has a Wikipedia page.
0: So cool. You'll have to send me the oh, link cool. afterwards. That's awesome. Oh,
1: absolutely. Before I came to the clearing, I worked at the State Department for eight years i like worked in a number of like clerical positions in high school and in college and then i was working um in an office called uh resource management and organizational analysis doing the super sexy work of like duplicative analysis of different (laughs) functions across the state department Yeah, because the mission of the department is so vast there's so many places and areas where um people can have Duplicative missions, mm-hmm. and so to save the taxpayers' dollars, little Elliot Johnson would be doing research and reading, and like um, interviewing folks, and just find out like if there are in fact differences in their missions and the way that they approached their work.
0: So um, you were essentially doing the Lord's work, so to speak.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> thankless 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 and no one no one knew what we were everyone thought we were the ig they thought we were coming in to like scrap a bunch of jobs and it's like if you can prove to me (laughs) that this counterterrorism unit doesn't belong in a different place then you're fine girl you're all good you're all good so i did that for a while and um i also i don't know if you know this but like tend to be poor when you're super young, and so I had multiple jobs, uh, and I was was also a trivia host.
0: What? Where? Uh,
1: It was a company called District Trivia, uh, and I did that for three years at a number of bars and restaurants in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. Um, And I also did private events for companies, um, and one of those companies happened to be The Clearing.
0: Is that how you ended up here?
1: That's absolutely how. <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> wow! I have so many questions. It's crazy. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. How did you even get involved in doing that sort of not a hobby, but it's a, it's a job? How did you get involved with that?
1: Well, it was a hobby. Like yeah. it started as a hobby. I. I played bar trivia like any other 21 year old who's yeah. healthy, deserved to be on youth jeopardy. Uh, and I was like the guy who was, was facilitating the trivia was like average at best. And I was like, I can do this so much better. <laughs> he gets cash, he gets food, he gets booze. Like there's so many things yeah. that like, help me in my economic situation where Mm -hmm. I'm like not expensing money to go to bars. I'm able to build relationships at bars that I'm already going to. It it was like, it was like the perfect storm for me. So naturally as one does, I went to www.google.com and I typed in trivia host jobs. And uh, this was, that was the first one that popped up. I applied, I went through three like interviews (laughs) And then there it was. And they're like, this kid's got personality. Put him on the stage.
0: Personality. Uh, Yes, you do. You do have that. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how it all started. That's how it all started. Wow.
1: Yeah, so I want to give a personal thank you to Teresa West, Hans Sponsky, Wendy Reed, Becky Gaynor. Shout out.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I did not know that fun little anecdote. Thank you. So... That's how you got here. What did you want to be when you grew up? I feel like you didn't, you know, dream, change management consultant is what I want to be. Or trivia director. What was, like, growing up, like, what did you think you were going to end up doing?
1: Uh, What's so funny is I I was at an impasse when I got to the clearing. I either was going to be the director of operations for the trivia company in Chicago. Like, they were opening up a new one. Or I was going to take wow. this whole thing gig. Like those were, were my two paths. That's crazy. Um, and so that's like when you said director of trivia, that's so funny. That's the first thing that came into my mind. Um, when I grew up, when I, I was younger, I was wanted. Well, first I wanted to be a chemist, but the girls know I'm not <laughs> good at science, so <laughs> that went out the door so quickly.
0: Science and math, oof, oof. toughies.
1: I just wanted to put things in different containers and say magic. <laughs> <laughs> Um and then actually that I wanted to write jingles.
0: I feel like you'd uh, still be good at that.
1: I think I would still be good at that also, but jingles are now like a thing of the past. Like people don't like they don't even like if you watch television shows now, they don't even have like title sequences anymore. They've got like the name of the show appears and there's like light right. or something, but there's not like there's no more theme songs yeah. like Family Matters and, and Full House. Like we're not doing that anymore. So like I don't know, what are the jingle makers doing now? I have no idea.
0: They're out of work, those poor guys. Well, before we jump in, I wanted to do a quick lightning round of questions with you. I feel like these cover so many different topics, and I'm going to give you 15, 20 seconds for a question, because um, I know you're going to want, you. Ha- I'm sure you're going to have a story for each one of these, but we're going to choose some fun ones, and okay. then we'll jump into it. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay, question number one. If you could ask any celebrity a question, who and what would it be?
1: If I to ask any celebrity a question, yeah, who would that celebrity be, and what would that question be? Yep. Okay, this is going to be really niche, and this person isn't even a celebrity, but it's a question I've had for a long time.
0: Okay. There's a
1: program called, it's a television program, called RuPaul's Drag Race.
0: Oh my goodness. And RuPaul. In
1: All-Stars season three, Bibi Zahara Benet would not show who she would have eliminated if she won the last season. <laughs> She wouldn't do it. She wouldn't tell anyone. It is the one thing no one knows. Like, after she did that, they made sure everyone had to show who their lipstick was, Mm -hmm. even if they didn't win. She was doing it because she was playing the social game because Mm -hmm. at the end, she didn't want people to know who she had voted for because clearly they were still in the competition. But no one knows. And so, I mean, that's not even... Biba Zaharbonnet is not even close to my (laughs) number one celebrity, but it is, like, the highest... Of like the questions that I have.
0: That's like what keeps you up at night. Every day. Every day. Oh my gosh. Okay. Next question. Um, what is your favorite podcast genre? Ooh,
1: I love, um, I love current events. Mm-hmm. Like, but like comedy current events.
0: That's yep. My love that. Um, what is the best compliment you've ever gotten? That's a hard one.
1: You have beautiful eyes.
0: Oh, that's sweet. I've
1: never thought that I have beautiful eyes. You do. Thank you.
0: Um, let's see. Were you ever considered as the smart kid in class?
1: Absolutely. To my detriment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine, like, a 17-year-old Elliot. Oh, my goodness.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about fully first grade. Okay. right? We're sitting at, like, the the four-person tables. Yes. And, like, we're, it's our turn to start reading out loud. Reading aloud for the kids, right? Uh-huh. And, like, the ladies don't even know I've been reading for several years before I got here. And... <laughs> I'm ready to go, and like like any teacher would do, she would try and pick on other people. But I wasn't having it because I knew I was ready to let these girls know this is how you read.
0: This is how he shows up.
1: So it does, and um, so like that, that was like, and of course I've gotten better, but like I yes, I'm not always the smartest kid, but mm-hmm. always a better kid.
0: I love that. Okay, next question is: Do you believe in aliens?
1: Well, if I can believe in life after love, then I can believe in aliens.
0: Oh God. Speaking speaking the truth, honestly. <laughs> okay, and then last question is, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of your role?
1: How do I continue to learn in order to stay on top of my role? Um, that's a really great question. And I, the first thing that comes to mind is like the power of perspective that we're able to bring to our clients, to our peers. to our our co-workers and so living and like trying new things and and learning from others and like deeply listening are all like not they're not I guess traditional methods of learning Mm -hmm. Um, but they feel important to continue to do to continue to learn about the human condition and how people receive information how they disseminate the information they received it's so interesting to hear two people tell the same story mm-hmm. in which parts size yeah. like and that's all about learning right to stay on top of how to continue to then give information to people right. so they can continue to receive it in a way that makes you an, a person they want to buy information from because there are so many sources of information so why are they getting it from you
0: right
1: yeah I think it's just like living and experiencing new things.
0: Yeah. I feel like you touched on something really interesting is that I feel like being a consultant sometimes is just listening. And sometimes people just need someone to listen to their problems. And it's not always, you know, going into solution mode right from the get-go. It's really just like hearing what they're saying, because sometimes I feel like we don't feel heard. And it's nice to have that, you know, sometimes you're a soundboard, but it's really just letting them you know, have someone to sort of shoot ideas with that kind of thing.
1: So yeah. love, that. love to listen and recap. The listen and recap.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Elliot. So Thank I want to pivot our conversation a bit, um, so we can take a look into organizational culture and what that really means. I feel like there's a lot of layers to this topic, mm-hmm. so I think we should start from the top, take it slow, and I want to get your take on what organization organizational culture means and how really is it important?
1: Sure, um, so organizations are like onions. They have layers um, and I took that from Shrek. I was gonna say, um, love
0: the Shrek shout out.
1: You're welcome, copyright TM. Um, <laughs> but what's at, this, what's at the heart of uh, every organization um, is its mission its vision and its values and its people,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. right? It's like, what's so important about um, organizations and culture in organizations um, is that like, it's the values of the organization in action. So if we're an organization that says that, you know, we are respectful, we're trustworthy, we empower others, we're creating a safe space, our culture is only that if we are intentional and in acting that way. And so, and, and the way that culture manifests itself in organizations is in small clusters, right? It's mm-hmm. like there is a desired culture for the organization that it is a safe, trustworthy, respectful place. And as people interact with one another throughout their day, with customers, with each other. That's where culture exists. It's like, how do I treat you, Mel, in this moment?
2: Mm-hmm. Whether we're in
1: a meeting or working together on a project or sharing ideas or eating lunch. Mm-hmm. And how do I um, exemplify the values of this organization in every interaction that I do with you?
0: So, what would an ideal organization? Culture look like, or does it differ for every company, every organization? Should it differ for every company and organization, or is there, you know, maybe like some sets principles or best practices that each culture or each organization should follow in order to, you know, foster a positive um, organizational culture?
1: Yeah, and I, I, so, so I sort of heard that question in two pieces. One is like, what is the ideal culture? And then the other part I heard was, um, what best practices exist for creating a healthy culture, which I feel like are two separate pieces. So I just want to pull that up really quick. And so for the first part, I don't think there is an ideal culture that people should try strive for. Every culture should be customized because no two same humans exist in this, in two different organizations, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, there's only one of me and there's only one of you. Right. We both participate in creating the organization's culture by being an individual, so there's no ideal culture. And cultures should continue to, uh, to like, innovate, evolve, and invent themselves and evolve. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, So that's one piece, and I think, and I, and so I don't think there's a perfect culture, but what I will say is that. Um, every culture, organizational culture should exist like to an end of some sort. At the clearing we have a prime called chase-lose and it's like if you're just chasing culture for culture's sake, you're going to lose every single time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you, have, if you have a culture that is, I'm going back to these values, trustworthy, respectful, safe, yep. emotionally safe, physically safe, all those things, um, that's in service of your clients or like this mission to put toilets across the continent of Africa. Right. It's like, we must be respectful for towards one another because we're going to come do this essential service in X place. That's why we have the culture that we have, not just because we want to be nice to people. Right. Like, yes, we should be nice to people. Right. But our, but our organizational, our organization's culture should live in service of something
2: yeah.
1: So I think that's really important. And I think the 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 best practice that comes first thing to my mind is to be intentional. Like um the intentionality of creating a healthy culture is what's uh, cultures and the behaviors and practices of the individuals who participate mm-hmm. in these customs and rituals and interactions that we have with one another. Right. And if we lose sight of like what those virtues values are that we're trying to put into action, then we're going to create a toxic culture
2: mm-hmm. as a
1: result of like not keeping those things top of mind. So if I lose, if I lose sight of the fact that I'm supposed to be respectful and trustworthy, right? Not saying that uh, people shouldn't mess up, right? It's like everyone will mess up at some right. point. Mistakes will happen that's when we'll be able to extend grace to people. But there's a difference between mistakes that happen and intentional lapses in judgment.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: And so um, to create a healthy culture, we'll want to make sure that uh, we're being intentional about making sure that our values, uh, we're values first in the way that we interact with one another in small pockets as a large entity. Um, And we have this... And the next thing that came to mind was like, we have the sayings like leaders go first, right. If there's like this modeling of what the culture should look like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, from the top as well. Right? right. Not to say that there aren't influential people across the organization, but when you think about like, what's the, the number one interaction we have with people at work, it's a meeting. Right? right? And who's calling these meetings leaders, leaders are calling meetings to brainstorm, to have decisions made, um, sometimes just to connect with each other as humans and individuals. And so if that leader who called that meeting is not modeling this intentional culture through the values of the organization, then who else is going to do it?
0: Right. So So I hear you saying that culture can, it happens in these little pockets. It happens when you're getting lunch with someone or you're in a meeting with your team and it happens in in small settings. And it's sometimes I think Um, there's something to be said about, you know, this stated culture that a company might have and what's actually experienced. And I think that ties back into the congruence prime that we have with the clearing. I feel like this is such a common problem and leaders and leadership are telling us one thing, but some people feel something completely different. How would you, do you have any guidance on maybe trying to find connection between the leadership and what they're saying our stated experience and our stated culture is with what's actually being experienced. Cause I feel like that is something that happens so easily and it's never usually intentional, but I think it really impacts each employee's, you know, day-to-day experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And we we talked a little bit about this earlier in the fact that like, how do you stay on top of, like, your position and, like, what you're doing in the world? You're listening, you're observing, you're participating mm-hmm. in the experience that is life. That sounds very philosophical. Um, very happy. You're experiencing and participating in this thing we call life, right? Um, and you're noticing where there is a lapse between the stated and the experienced, right? Mm-hmm. Where the stated is we are, res- I'm saying these values, respectful, yep. safe trustworthy and you're seeing people put down others in meetings or silence others or denounce, mm-hmm. like, or like make terrible, uh, you hit he- are like walking by people in the hallway and you hear terrible side conversations right. about people right? and you're not doing anything about it. You're not, and it doesn't always have to be public, right? Like if, if I'm walking down the hall and I see Jim, like making a snide comment about you, for example, I don't have to be like, Jim, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> in the middle of the, the hallway. That's, Called
2: that's, out. That's like, <laughs> calling Jim out.
1: <laughs> Jim will never respect me right. ever again. I'm creating a safe space for him to receive feedback on how that's not a part of the culture that we participate in. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and there need to be moments where leaders are asked to step in to make the stated part of the experience through those intentional acts of feedback and coaching. Mm-hmm. And, and when I use leaders in this context, it's not just leaders, right? It's anyone who considers the culture of the organization as a, uh, a prized entity of their employee experience, which should be everyone, right? right. You want to show up to work right. to have a good experience because you're spending so much time there and you're seeing all these people and hopefully you're not just showing up for a paycheck. Um, <laughs> but, hey, if you're showing up for a paycheck... Do you? All good. <laughs> you know what? If you like it, I love it. Okay? <laughs> um, but, but um, like, ideally... a the majority of people are invested Mm -hmm. in the organization's culture. And as a result, um, uh, there should, there should be opportunities for people to make sure that the culture is an intentional part of the work that's going on.
0: Yeah. So speaking of opportunities to, you know, cultivate this insightful and high delivering and positive workplace culture, you know, what are some things that we could be doing better? Not necessarily us, but, you know, all companies, all organizations, what could we be doing better to instill these values of being trustworthy and responsible and whatever else you were saying, what could we be doing better to be reaching our goals and our expectations of, you know, fostering this positive um, workplace culture?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, one like understanding what your organization's values are and like being very clear about what those values are I've pulled out some pretty like standard values around respect mm-hmm. and safety and trustworthiness that I think a lot of organizations hold and then there but there are always opportunities to you can your organization mm-hmm. can have whatever value set you know that that applies best in support of creating a culture that is in support of something right in support of achieving your your mission in, a, in, a, right. in support of achieving the vision that your leaders have set. Um, and so it's like being really clear, I think, is one thing that I don't know that all organizations do well, mm-hmm. like being super clear about the value sets that, that are being held as an organization and how that then contributes to the culture mm-hmm. that is being built across the organization. So that's one thing I think there's something about um, in here about like having people to help define what the desired culture should be for an organization. Right. It's like,
0: what do you mean by that? Like having some sort of like change champion or people who are on board in order to empower and instill it in other people. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's like having people who are bought in to like what the culture should be getting buy-in from people across the organization if if you do already have stated values, if you don't have stated values, like getting people like engaged in the creation of the values that you want to embody as the organization, mm-hmm. of course, within parameters and, and, and guidelines that, that can easily be set. Right. It's like getting people's voices into the mm-hmm. room to be able to contribute to something. They'll look at that set, those set of values and say, I can see myself in that. I can, I can see myself in one because, because things like emotional safety don't always make it right into like a core set of values, but right. so many people want that. They want to be able to bring their, um, their full self to work. You know, they want to be able to say, sorry, I can't do this thing because I've got soccer practice. I can't do this thing because I got a play, a flute, recital, like whatever that thing is, but their environment doesn't feel emotionally safe. And it's also not in their stated values to be part of their culture. Right. But if you're working towards, building a value set that incorporates items like that whether that that that's part of the the journey of like incorporating ideas and having people be bought into how they see themselves as part of their organization and subsequently how they see themselves in building a collective culture across the organization
0: i feel like this idea of building a collective culture it's it's very easy or not easy it's not easy to do but it's easier to do when you're in a small or medium sized company that's or a startup or something that's still, you know, it's roots like it's still still growing. How would you or would your guidance be any different for say someone who is working for, you know, a Fortune 500 company or some large company that's already very established. There's a mission statement and there's goals and there's expectations and it's it might be a little bit more difficult to you know, be that person to you know empower others to have this this specific mindset for that company. Do you have anything? Would it be different, or would it be the same approach if you were in a larger company that's a lot more established?
1: Wow. Mel, um, no, you're exactly right. Like organizational size and structure have everything to do with um, what I'm going to describe as like the the length of time it takes to create to create a culture that's different than the experienced culture that already exists, right? Um, And because culture transformation is, that's where I think we've moved to, transformation. Uh, And tell me that's too far of a leaf if you're just like, what do I do? Uh, Culture transformation um, is rooted in behavioral transformation, which takes time. Like teaching people new habits takes time. Right, um, and teaching a lot of new people new habits takes time. But what the, what's what's great about culture transformation is like it's some of that self policing we were talking about earlier, where it's like if we build enough of a good culture. Um, across the organization people will start to Mm -hmm. feel comfortable calling out where negative parts of the culture exist it's kind of like this idea of like herd immunity from like negative culture um and right and like it's because like in essence right we work for the clearing right but no one works for the clearing really like like you work on your project team Right. Right. And you're like working in service of this project team's goals or the goals of the contractor, the group or whatever. And we all like Mm -hmm. we exist in in this organization called The Clearing, but we have our own team cultures, no matter how many teams you belong to. Right. If you're if you're Melville and you're on 12 projects and (laughs) you've got you've got 12 team cultures to keep up with and you're like, how do I operate in this space? How do I operate in this space? How do I operate in this space? Right. Um, and so that 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 sort of dynamic can happen in large and small organizations, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's understanding um, the journey to transforming larger organizations is understanding some of those complex dynamics. But there are still some fundamental pieces that that are there that that won't go away. Right, this idea that um, culture is modeled by leadership or grounded in values and action or, um, like, or, or that culture appears in pockets, right? Like all of those are true. Mm -hmm. It's just like the magnitude and scale and complexity, right? Because when you get larger, you're dealing with a larger set of managers and leaders that may need to be trained in a different way to be able to support a culture transformation of the size of the organization. So there are different levers and mechanisms, right? Because no one wakes up and is like, I am now a culture ambassador, right? Like <laughs> right. like I have culture.
2: This is what I
1: <laughs> here is my decree. Hello, I am culture. Right? And it's like giving people the tools and the language and and the skills uh, to be able mm-hmm. to start to have conversations and recognize and be aware of where culture exists, right? People don't always, like, don't always see meetings as a place where culture exists. Right. But like, where else are you coming together to share ideas?
0: Yeah, that's funny, because I've never really have thought about it like that. Like, to me, I always thought culture, and like, this is pre-pandemic, I suppose, is, you know, walking with someone to get food during your break, or who you hang out with, or, you know, the people and the pockets of people you surround yourself at work. But it's embedded in so in so many other things, and it's so much deeper than just those, you know, smaller nuances that exist. So I love that. Um, Elliot, I want to ask you, how do you – now we're in, you know, a remote environment. It's been about a year. How do you think being in a remote environment affects company culture? I know it's – everyone we've gone through a lot in the past year and everyone has felt exhausted and overwhelmed and upset and frustrated and, you know, opportunistic and hopeful. But how do you think that affects a company's or an organization's culture?
1: That's a great question. Um, and I think there's a, there's like a silver lining in this pandemic, mostly remote response that people had to take a pause And think about how to intentionally connect with one another that caused Mm -hmm. a cultural reset or at least a cultural pause for so many organizations, right? It's like I used to have daily interactions with people I either would, that would either contribute or detract from my employee experience. And now I have to be intentional about connecting with those individuals that either contribute or detract from my employee experience right um and i and i think that um like the connection virtually will never be the same as right. connecting in person um but and, and i think that people are still navigating how to get as close as possible right what and that includes the fact that every time i log on to google hangouts there is a new feature that i can use to interact <laughs> with someone right. somewhere right it's like oh I just found out I get virtual backgrounds now.
0: Yeah. Google and zoom and all, and WebEx, they are like working harder than Satan this year to, get, to <laughs> roll out all of these That's features. Not. It's actually crazy. <laughs>
1: That's so true. <laughs> um, and so like, I think, um, I think that if anything, the, the virtual context has made it harder to codify mm-hmm. and solidify organizational cultures. It's because of the difficulty of being able to connect with one another on a consistent and unintentional basis. There's, you mentioned earlier, right? Like going to lunch, going to happy hour, just like sitting next to someone for the day mm-hmm. contributes to the culture of my team, my organization, the group that I'm in, right? right. Like um, at the clearing, we have this open seating. I can sit anywhere any day, which will inform, like, like, if I sat next to you one day, we'll inform, like, the culture of the pod we sat out, right? Versus... Right. Uh, now it's like, I, I hadn't heard from you in so long, and I was like, I where are you? Where are you? Um, just put a bow, I guess, on it. It's just, like, the, the being virtual has not made it any easier to make sure that... Um, it all comes back to intentionality, right? Cultures must be intentional to thrive and in service of something.
0: Absolutely. I want to pivot our conversation to talk a little bit about um, DEI, which stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I feel like DEI is, it's not a new idea. It's not a new initiative, but it's a new priority, I think, for a lot of organizations. I think it's coming up in the workplace, so often we're having more conversations about it, especially given what happened in 2020. um, And a lot of the tragic events, I feel like people are becoming more open to talk about it because it sometimes feels like it's almost like a taboo conversation, which it shouldn't be. Um, So for our audience who, you know, may not have as much context or a lot of background on DEI, um, could you give us just a high level overview of what that entails um, and what that, you know, what DEI really means and stands for?
1: Um, so, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, the way that I like to think about diversity, equity, inclusion is like a party. Like, okay, so diversity is like having a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds at the party. That's diversity, right? You and I. I'm I'm a black male. Male, how do you identify?
0: A Latina woman.
1: Thank you. Right, and so we show up. That that this is a diverse podcast, right? It put mm-hmm. in a bunch of other folks, of like men and women, uh, different uh, racial, ethnic, and religious backgrounds. That's diversity. But if there's only one of one black man, and one Latina, mm-hmm. and 50 white men. 47 white women, and everyone else is Christian, then we just have diversity and we don't have equity. Mm -hmm. and We certainly don't have inclusion. Right? So equity is creating, um, it's right there in the word, like having an equal amount of faces, voices, experiences available to you and your organization. And inclusion is pulling those Experiences into crucial conversations Mm -hmm. that allow those perspectives to live and grow and manifest into something that um, contributes to the positive experience of everyone at the party, at the firm, at the group. And I mean, because ultimately, right, right, like what benefits one of us benefits all of us as long as it's rooted in like goodness, right? So, um, that's, that's how I think about diversity, equity, and inclusion.
0: How do you think we could foster a more open and transparent conversation or discussion within organizations? I feel like over the past year, I know the clearing has taken a lot of initiative to take on more DEI awareness within the company, but um, I know a lot of companies might not also be doing that. So are there any things that, or any ways that we could make this you know, an open conversation within organizations. I don't know why, but I feel like it's, it's almost taboo and it's sometimes not spoken about, but it should be spoken about all the time because we're living it constantly. Um, so any, any guidance maybe for, you know, someone who's sitting out there listening and it's like my company doesn't say anything about this kind of stuff. And I would love to learn more um, or hear more about this, you know, in, in the workplace.
1: Yeah, I think my, this is my own personal perspective right this is not aligned with the company but um i think a lot of people shy away from the dei conversation out of fear of being seen in a way that they are um that they don't intend to be seen um because they don't have the language that allows them to talk and uh, make like um but like make like concepts Mm -hmm. uh connect in a way that Mm -hmm. they traditionally communicate right so like you're like i have this set of experiences that have brought me to this point in my life now Mm -hmm. you're asking you're bringing in other experiences that i have very little context in and asking me to be just as smart as all of these experiences that have led me to this point but i've just been introduced to them and i have a fear of looking bad when i look bad then bad things happen to me. I lose my job. I lose my friends because I don't have mm-hmm. the language to do that. So I shy away from it.
0: I'm sure some people feel that exact way. If they aren't an expert in something or they don't have all the experience in something, they're not going to want to speak about it because they don't feel like they have like the language to your point or you know, the knowledge or the depth to like understand someone else's perspective or experience. And I feel like that's that's exactly why people sometimes shy away or are uncomfortable or don't like speaking out in a public setting because they're afraid of what others will think because they don't have it all or they don't know it all. That's right.
1: And so that that's my perspective. Um, and my initial thoughts around like combating those feelings and that experience is, um, I. I one, find a facilitator so that you don't have to be the content holder, and you can stay as quiet or as vocal as you want to be when having these sort of conversations. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Two, I would recommend if you are if you are going to be a facilitator of these conversations, creating a space that allows to like that's safe enough, and asking people to remove their judgment. And if they, they feel like judgment is coming into the room, to leave the room. I have seen that be so powerful because every time someone's in the room, they're listening. Right. And just because you leave the room does not make you a bad person. Having judgment does not make you a bad person, but it just has no place in this room. And that's where true learning can exist because it's true listening of experiences that lead to a higher sense of learning. Wisdom.
0: Wisdom, baby. I think that's, um, what is it? The confusion prime is like when you're in your most um, like vulnerable or you're most confused or you have the least amount of context, like that's where you have the power to truly experience like a learning and have a huge learning moment um, and sort of have an epiphany within yourself to, you know, take in that new, that new knowledge. So I wanted to get your take on this. Um, And I don't know how much you probably know more about it than I do. But um, given, you know, our recent um, administration change, they are rolling out um, an executive order to advance racial equity and support in underserved communities throughout the federal government. Um, So I know last week or the day after the inauguration, excuse me, so the 21st of January, um, we, for one of my clients, we received um, an email from our deputy office chair that we will all be undergoing um DEI training now it's going to be a requirement every year within um for all agencies which I think is huge um so I wanted to get your take on it you know what are your thoughts do you think that this is about time you know how do you how do you think that this is going to change the workplace perhaps um when it comes to our clients and, and the, the industries that we serve yeah
1: um I think that training is great I think training, gives people an opportunity to have a shared language in the way that they participate with one another in conversation and interactions. And training can also only take you so far. Using the training as tools in your tool belt and being intentional about using those tools, right? When you're having these conversations and interactions is where the change will start, right? And so, but it can't start without the education, but education is not enough. Um, And so, um, I mean, I love an interactive workshop, right? It's like you get in and you like learn all these things and then uh, you walk out and you're like, I'm riding on the high of knowledge. Mm -hmm. But if the next day you aren't taking any of that knowledge and using it, then slowly but surely you're like, you settle back into your old habits, right? And then we're at that, we're Mm -hmm. back at the, intersection of stated and experienced right and if you're not intentional about using these tools that you've learned right that you will learn every year Mm -hmm. then what good is it because then it's just sort of like there are only so many times that someone can tell you like please use people's pronouns or like uh, you know uh, these are you know different ways to address people this is these are, these are mm-hmm. the, the difference between gender and sex, the difference between race and ethnicity, right? Some of those things, well, they've evolved, but they haven't really changed, mm-hmm. right? The language has gotten more specific, yeah. but the concepts have been there. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's really about using the training that I think is important, especially when talking about using them to transform an organization's culture.
0: Absolutely. What would you... Tell someone, or one of your friends came to you and said that they, you know, um, want to do more, want to say, like, how could someone who might feel in this uncomfortable position talking about DEI really um, create awareness for it and get more involved? Because it, it's it's very easy to hear these conversations and go through the trainings and go through all the motions, but putting it into place and putting it into practice is where, like, to your point, it's it's where it makes the most difference and where they will get the most value out of it. Um, You know, if any guidance for someone who might feel, you know, awkward or feel, you know, uncomfortable in those positions, like the best way for them to get engaged if they want to get engaged.
1: The gift is not to you. Like using those tools that you've learned in whatever training that you've learned in the DEI training Mm -hmm. is not for you. It's for the person who's receiving the, the change in the way that you're right. um that you're experiencing them and your interactions with them. So that's just the one thing I want to do. It's like it should be in service of others. Right? We're we're doing these things to be right. better in service of others, not just to make ourselves look good. This right. one perspective I have. Um the other is like find a trusted advisor, especially when you're like new at it, right? I'm not like and if you're like I don't have a trusted advisor, listen. Mm-hmm. Not everyone lives in Washington, DC, right? Not everyone has um access to people of different backgrounds, racial, ethnic, sexual orientation, whatever that may be, to to um bounce ideas off of or, or like they they even if you do live in DC, people mm-hmm. are like some people are like, I don't want to be your teacher, right? Like I I want you to take what you've learned and apply it. And then we get back to that thing where people are like, I can't do the thing because I just learned it like, right. It's like riding a bike. Will someone please let me like, I don't want to keep falling off the bike in front of people. I want to fall off in front of my mom. She'll come and pick me up and kiss my boo-boo and pull me back. Right.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So try and find a a person. If you can't find a person, that's fine. My recommendation is if you can't find a trusted person, watch. watch. Like when, when I hear people say, let black people take the lead, for example, in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's not that, it's not only that black people are talking about the experience, so they should be the first ones to talk about their experience. It's that if you don't feel comfortable using the language, or if you don't feel comfortable with the concepts, watch a person who does. Learn from that. If you cannot learn through your own experience, We talk a lot about um, the adult learning model at the clearing. Mm -hmm. It's like learn, experience, reflect. You'll learn in a classroom through your DEI piece. You can experience through a number of ways. Either experience someone who's a master, experiencing through your novice, right? Mm -hmm. And then reflect on how that worked for you. Did you fall off the bike? Was it fine? Did anyone hurt your feelings? Did you experience something new when watching a master at work that you want to try on? What do you want to do so when you go back to learning, you're in a new place?
0: This is, this is great. I think this is really helpful. And we, know, you don't, we don't want this to be um, a conversation that's difficult to have. It should be open and transparent. And um, it all starts from, by each individual person. Um, so I think if everyone takes that on for themselves, it's always you know, in service of, of others. So I think um, what you said makes total sense. Okay, well, I know we've been chatting for a bit, Elliot, so I want to thank you again. This has been amazing. Um, before we, you know, before we wrap up, do you have any, you know, last final words, final thoughts on, you know, fostering this positive um, you know, organizational culture and, you know, creating awareness for DEI and making sure that there is a place for it in the workplace and in your personal life and in every aspect of of our lives. Any any final thoughts?
1: Yeah, I'd offer that you um you can't have uh, a healthy and positive workplace culture without having a culture that is diverse, equitable and inclusive they cannot exist separate of one another um mm-hmm. i don't i don't think i said that explicitly and i want to say that explicitly here at the end um i i, I also want to stress again and i said this a couple times like the intentionality of building an organizational culture is um, takes a lot of work. Nothing that we've talked about here is easy.
2: Right.
1: There's not a single thing that we've talked about in this almost hour that we've been together that is easy except for the stupid jokes that I made at the top of this podcast. Um, and and it's not easy because it because it involves the most complex dynamic that probably exists on this planet, which is the human to human dynamic. Because you cannot control anyone but yourself. Yeah. And that's like very part of it. And so, like, how do you influence without controlling towards good? Is that tricky dance you have to dance? Um, and so, uh, know that nothing is easy, but it doesn't also have to be hard. Reach out to your friends who, who have read up on it. Reach out to us at the clearing. We're, we're happy to sit down, have a couple chats, talk with you about, um, like, where you are right now. Where you want to go. What, what, what feels right to you? What are some strategies you could implement? Mm Because there's no cookie cutter solution because there's no cookie cutter culture. Every culture is different. We've got some really cool principles that we can use as foundations um, towards creating a better culture for the organization and ultimately whatever that end is, your customers, the world.
0: Yeah. Love that. Thanks, Elliot. Thank you. Cool. Well, I want to say um, thank you again, Elliot, for taking the time to be on the podcast. Um, we are we were thrilled to have you and hear your insights and your perspectives um, and see where you come from. Um, so thank you again. And we're excited to see where your work takes you next. Thanks so much, y'all. And thank you so much to our listeners for taking the time out of your day to listen to Elliot and I catch up. Um, That about wraps us up for our conversation today. But before we close, we want to hear from you all. You know, this podcast is about showing and highlighting voices from rising industry leaders. So we would love to know more about what you want to hear from us. So feel free to follow us on LinkedIn. Um, Stay connected with us through any of our social media accounts, which are all linked in the podcast bio. And let us know what you want to hear from us in the next episode. So from everyone here at The Clearing and as told by, we will talk to you all very soon in the next episode.